0: Mrs. Jean. <laughs> I mean, where else is there to go? This is so sensual and soft and meaningful. We must have a meaningful relationship. Is there such a song? La, da, 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 it's a dumb sounding song why do I I can't get that crummy song out of my head I hate it it's a rotten song <laughs> well, uh, I, I, you know a friend of mine had to finally go to a doctor a head shrink uh, he couldn't get funiculi funicula out of his head she's darn right it's bad as a matter of fact, he said that, it, you know, it got to the point where he, he just couldn't stop. He'd be in an elevator, and he'd, he'd, in the middle of a conversation, you know, his boss is talking to him. He'd go, funicula, funicula, ta-da, ta-da, ta da ta da da and the boss would say, what the hell's the matter with you? He said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, he finally wound up in a head, you know, in a head shrinks, in a... In a in a psychiatrist's office, and they spent weeks. He's laying on that old couch there. They actually did it. You know, they had a couch, and he's laying on a the couch there. And finally, what they had to do, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't do much about it, except that they, what they did was uh, they caused a transference. You know what that is? Well, they, they substituted red sails in the sunset for funiculi, funicula, which was a much more socially acceptable tune, although itself is dumb. And uh, so uh, that's all the doctor could do for him. He just said, said, "Well, I mean, it's better than any, better than nothing, you know." And uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. I don't, you know, I don't make up medical problems. I'm gonna report them. And so he said, he said that uh, uh, he did find though that people uh, tended to be less irritable when he was around singing "Red Sails in the Sunset" than funicula. Well, actually, you can understand it, you know. Every Polish accordionist plays funiculi, funicula. Shades of Dick Contino, you know, and he, uh, he, he was the object of ridicule. Now he's only the object of pity, which is not as bad as ridicule, you know. It's kind of nice to have people weep over you. That's better than having people laugh at loud in your teeth. And so uh, now uh, he just walks around and he says, red sails in the sunset. Just does that all the time. He's worked on style, too, now. Can't get it out of his head, so he figures he might as well get a sing, you know, a singing style. And uh, so now he goes, Red says in the sunset. He tries a Louis Armstrong, you know. Then he'll do a Red says in the sunset, you know, Jerry Vale type. And uh, so, well, the, the, no, no one ever fully understand the mind. I mean, uh, no one. And maybe it's just as well. See, it, it, we're, we're, we're a very difficult creature, you know. Because we're the only creature that studies itself endlessly. And so naturally, uh, since we do study ourselves it's endlessly, it's made us very self-conscious. Self-conscious is a phrase, you see. Self-conscious, conscious of the self. That's not the same as embarrassed, although they often run parallel. <laughs> but uh, self-consciousness, you see, is a curse... Yeah, and it's a curse that many, many people today have. Like, uh, for example, you see it in commercials. There's endlessly girls talking about their hair having a healthy, healthy bounce. You notice that they're always flipping their hair up and down, and it goes up and down like a bounce, healthy bounce. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I I like to report on new trends in commercials. You see, the healthy bounce commercial is with us now. Uh, the split ends commercial has disappeared. Remember the split ends, and the uh, the tangles commercial has disappeared too. You know, no tangles. That little kid always would say, "Look, no tangles, no tangles." Uh, all the tangled problems have disappeared. Split ends have disappeared. They've been replaced by the bounce, which you either have or you haven't. Uh, you can have, I, I presume, an unhealthy bounce, which of course is another problem. We'll take that up next semester. However, uh, the the bounce problem... Now, there's another problem that is uh, another trend in commercials. If you notice now, commercials in cars, for example, always show a great trend in our time. Uh, Commercials now, there are two two types of car commercials. One is the outright love story. Outright and frank. The love story of the person in love with his car. And he sings a romantic song about it. You know, he says... uh, Me and my Pinto, oh my God, I love her so. And he looks very romantic and his eyes puddle up. And you see him driving in his Pinto and singing this song about his Pinto. And he's in love with his Pinto, obviously, because, and this is the second trend that's important, there's nobody else in the car with him. This is an important trend. No longer are people seen with other people in cars. There's always this sexy-looking chick getting into a Pinto, too. And she, too, sings about her pinto. But she's got nobody with it. In other words, she's not in love with other people. She's in love with things. A thing, which uh, apparently uh, extends her own personality and her own particular... uh, And him, too. They're both the same, see? So this is a very important print. The the old day of the commercial, you know, where the the whole happy family gathered in the uh, station wagon. You know, there's thousands of kids jumping up and down. They had this dog this black and white dog always in the back looked like Bertrand Russell a very very wise looking dog and uh, Daddy sitting in the front seat and Mommy sitting in the front seat and they were happily driving in their new uh, Ford station wagon well that's all out you know why there are no more happy families I mean uh, after all the commercial has to uh, (laughs) the commercial has to reflect what's going on in society It, it, it never creates it it follows it so the family is done uh, but the uh, girls with healthy bounce in their hair, driving their lone Pinto, this is in. And uh, so, if you're a uh, social studies uh, major, you could do, you could seriously do uh, worse than to study the commercials, because this is a real bellwether. You'll learn more about our, our society watching the commercials than you will standing out on a street corner watching the enigmatic people move by. Just watch and see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, what are you going to do? That's the way life is. So let's give a, applause to the only true bellwether of our time, the commercial that tells us, you know, what the story is. Let's hear it. We are uh, my forever we will. Well, as long as the Reynolds Wrap hood holds out. But uh, nevertheless, uh, did you like that, though, that uh, you, you've seen those commercials? And the healthy bouncing. Well, uh, there are other uh, types of commercials that uh, that I think are important. For example, now there's the outright attack on the other guy's product. I mean, uh, you know, the one that comes on nine nine out of ten Coke, uh, Pepsi-Cola drinkers. <laughs> I mean, you know that kind. Uh, that's the hard sell, or those other guys are a bunch of phonies. Commercial. Don't you be misled by brand. They don't even have brand X anymore. Now uh, Coca Cola is in an outright war with Pepsi Cola. And uh, apparently there's a great philosophical schism between the drinkers of Pepsi Cola and Coca Cola. For example, uh, Pepsi Cola people are always young, youthful, and running around and yelling. You've seen that. That's joined the Pepsi generation, and uh, they've been doing that for 50, 100 years. They've been young, youthful, and running around a lot. And, uh, you know, hollering and rowing boats as fast as they can row them, and just flipping and screaming and hollering. Even old ladies are throwing bo- volleyballs around. And, uh, you know, this is the, that's the Pepsi crowd. Now, the Coke crowd tends to be idealistic and dreamy and very, very romantic about the world. They stand on hillsides, and they sing things like, Oh, I'd love to give the world a Coke, I'd love to. You know, thousands of idealistic-looking Japanese and Italians, they're holding their Coke. And and, uh, so you see, there is a distinct schism between these two groups. Uh, To be perfectly frank with you, I suspect that the uh, Coca-Cola drinkers uh, uh, tend to be uh, Democrats. They tend to believe in the U.N., they tend to uh, you know all this uh, stuff whereas the uh, Pepsi drinkers tend to be uh, pragmatic Republicans what they want to do is buy a boat and run around on a beach and uh, so uh, (laughs) you (laughs) and by the way part of our politics today is to is to relate one group of people are the bad guys in other words you know if you're if you're a Republican generally you're called a bad guy in our society if you're if you're a Democrat, you're called the good guy. Well, now, that's a very interesting development in politics, which uh, basically says there's only one right position, the one I believe in. All the others are evil. Fascinating. <laughs> this leads to things like the, the Inquisition. You know, <laughs> it really does. Or uh, guys lining up against walls with the bandages over their eyes, and other guys, the good guys, blasting away. So... Uh, I'm just saying that this is not a healthy trend in our politics. Very much not. Uh, Good guys versus bad guys. And uh, in other words, there's no legitimate two sides to an argument. There's the good guy side, and then there's the rotten, evil connivers, who don't really seriously believe in what they believe in, but they're doing it for their own nefarious ends. (laughs) That's called the Fu Manchu syndrome. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. So as you look around, you you see all this stuff in the commercials. It's all there. Now, I think one of the funniest of all the commercials today, in a sneaky way, is it shows this little fat guy sitting there, see? And he's all excited. He's got this little thing next to him. And the uh, little thing says, ah, Car 47, go to the corner of 7th and Main. Uh, there is a, an altercation of 119 in progress. Over and out, 10-4. And, he, oh, and on, on, on comes the announcer says, Yes, the police radio, the greatest new move in entertainment since television. <laughs> listening, to, listening to misery, crime, rape, shooting is the greatest new entertainment since television. Let's hear a cheer for that, please. <laughs> Have you heard that one? Oh yeah. In other words, in other words, uh, whenever the police are called in action, somebody's in trouble. You agree? I mean, you—you you, nobody ever just picks up the phone and calls 911. You know the the number. You call them and you say, "Hello, police." Because yes, Sergeant Authority speaking. Uh, Sergeant, uh, can you send the guy over here? We're trying to get a fourth here to play a little backgammon. Yeah, uh, because you just, you, just, you just don't call cops for that, do you? That's right. Uh, you don't say, uh, hey, listen, uh, Sergeant O'Doherty, why don't all you guys, when you're off shift today, why don't you come over to the house We're having a little, little get-together here, a lot of beer, you know, and yelling and hollering, what the hell. Come on down, fellas. You don't call the cops for that. What do you call them for? You know... Well, you, you, you may, uh, uh, every time I've ever had any occasion to call the cops, it's been in moments of extreme unction. And here's this guy sitting there listening to the cop radio, and he's got a fantastically rapturous look on his face, and then that great phrase, the, that fantastically telltale phrase that comes on and says, the greatest advance in entertainment since television... And when you love to have somebody sitting there cheering, and applauding, when uh, when the you know the the police radio says, Ah, there's a car on fire on the uh, West End Highway, and it's exploding right now. Sent seven cars over there, and that's you. And everybody's saying, Oh God, that was a great one today. We heard this guy he was on fire. He was blowing up. <laughs> Airplane crashed into his car. Four guys were following them with shotguns wonderful day sitting here at the old police radio great entertainment oh yeah there's all kinds of trends uh, for example one of the most intriguing trends of the, the commercial world is cars for example you know we're living in a world of increasing believe it or not in spite of what you read in magazines like New York and so on the new free spirit world and all that increasing conformity oh yes People today conform far more than they used to. In other words, the more fashion becomes important in a world, the more conformity is in the saddle. In other words, fashion is conformity, by definition. <laughs> okay? So when fashion when fashion becomes more and more important, conformity is more and more important. Now, you may think that you're really a nonconformist by wearing the peasant look, but you're only doing what somebody else has told you to do, and, uh, you know, Bloomingdale's is down there making the big pitch to you. So the point being here that that we are living in increasing... As, as fashion becomes more important in our world, so is conform. By the way, there are also fashions in politics. This is one of the worst of, of the problems with the fashion world. In other words, it's fashionable to be in one party or another. Not, not whether you've ever thought it out. It's fashionable. So... Uh, to this, by the way, do you know that, that that's one of the secrets of success that happened with the Nazis in the, in the, uh, in the 1920s? It was fashionable to join that party. It was a kind of an in thing to do. And, uh, was, you know, it was a groovy thing. So, uh, of course there are a lot of guys, uh, when that fashion went out, the party stayed in, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's easier to get something in than to get it out. However, that's, you know, that's another problem. Now, uh, Fashions are are, uh, are are you know they come and go often. Now, when I saw that commercial, I thought, "Oh wow, you know, here's this guy sitting there squatting there listening to police radio." Well, now I would like to tell you, and it may come as a surprise to you, that that police radio listening to has been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, my old man and, and uh, he he uh, he was he was really into radio, uh, not radio as a as a ham or as a as the CB guy but he was he was a radio freak and he didn't listen to the radio now that did not mean that he sat around and listened to uh, uh, The Shadow and stuff like that he couldn't stand he couldn't care less for that stuff (laughs) and that's uh, that's true of me but what he did he loved radio equipment that didn't mean he knew anything about it so um, at at the very earliest age, as a kid I remember the old man coming in and he always had these radio catalogs uh, of not not like Allied or Radio Shack. Now you've never seen this type of catalog. It is a catalog turned out by a radio receiver manufacturer. In other words, uh, if you were say Zenith, you would turn out this great big beautiful colored brochure with a uh, hundred different types of Zenith radios, all different kinds of amplifiers in them, and all. And uh, they were sold almost like today. If you can go in and and buy a uh, Let's say for argument's sake, if, you, if you're if you going to buy a foreign car, you go down into the showroom and they have brochures and they tell you all the various models and they're printed up in 28 colors and uh, they show you the accessories and so on. Well, the old man was always bringing home radio catalogs, not Allied, not Radio Shack or Lafayette, but catalogs about radios. That uh, And so he, he'd he have them out, and he would go through this, this long and vile reasoning process of what kind of radio he's going to get, not just go down to the store and get a radio. No way. Oh, no. Because buying a radio, of course, if you're really into radio, is a serious purchase, because this is a really highly complex piece of gear. It's just like a hi-fi guy of today. You know, you, you don't just go down. If you really know anything about high fidelity, you just don't go down and say, hey, give me the one over there with the green cabinet. Uh, you know, you, you sit there and you pour over graphs and charts and, and uh, static uh, power ratios and all kinds of jazzy stuff, which the average guy doesn't even understand, but they make great reading. Like my old man, he didn't understand what uh, what a Class AB1 push-pull amplifier was, but it made great reading. So he'd sit and talk to Sherby, such a thing. You know, he'd, the Sherby's sitting there, and they're both playing Uncle with Uncle Carl, and Zoodock, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Sherby would say, "Hey, how come you 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 bought that expensive radio?" At that point, the old man would say, "Well, Sherby, it has a push-pull AB1 linear cathode feed, double negative feedback oscillator." Well, he didn't know what the hell that was, but Sherby would say, "No kidding!" So yes, and uh, he said, well, "Watch this now." And he'd jump up and he'd turn up the gain and all that stuff, you know, and the house would jiggle and vibrate and the, the jelly jars in the kitchen would break. And of course, old Sherby was totally impressed. It's just like, you know, you take a guy out in the backyard and you say, uh, take a look at my Ferrari. And uh, he says, What would you look at you, you know, the average Pinto owner doesn't know what a Ferrari is. And he says, yes, you know, this is a 12 cylinder inline. It's the only 12-cylinder, four-valve engine made. It has a 16-valve, you know. And <laughs> at that point, you get into the cockpit, and you just turn the key on, and you say, listen to this. <laughs> and, then, you know, it burbles and blows the grass down on the lawn for blocks around. Houses three or four blocks away, burst the flames from the, you know. And uh, it's impressive, you know. <laughs> I mean, some guys like to impress that way. And the old man loved his radio. Now, he went through the whole bit. See, he, he picks up. Uh, he's looking at the zenith and uh, he had all the uh, all the great uh, catalogs from the zenith he even uh, at one time flirted with the idea of buying this radio that was on the back of magazines it was a 49 tube radio called the midwest and uh, i guess uh, 49 tubes it was and 48 of them were made out of balsa wood i think it had one tube in there that worked but all the others were dummies. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he, he almost bought that. And, uh, you know, you bought it by mail, see, and a little guy came scurrying up to your house at 2 o'clock in the morning and, you know, put it on the porch, rang the bell, and ran like hell. But uh, he, 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 you know, he was, he was <laughs> I remember all his stuff he went through, and, of course, he's arguing with the old, with my mother all the time about it, see. And she says, why can't we just get a nice radio to put out of the refrigerator? and he's saying things oh yes but look uh, this has 16 shortwave bands and uh, the, the catalogs always had these great pictures of elegant people uh, the front catalog and uh, uh, the really elegant radios that show this guy wearing a tuxedo and this lady that looked like Ginger Rogers and uh, they're drinking uh Cocktails out of these thin glasses, you know, the kind of the little bubbles over the top of them. They always have, with the, you know, the little, and they're drinking the cocktails and uh, they have this obviously elegant house and uh, and he is saying to her, my dear, it's time for the BBC News. And underneath it, it says, yes, you can listen nightly along with other elegant people to the BBC News Direct from London with your new 16... 16 tube super DX shortwave E.H. Scott and uh, (laughs) well you know so the old man he was really into this stuff and he he wound up and he he finally made his his decision you see after after uh, rejecting Zenith Zenith was a Zenith was a a, a, in a sense the Pontiac of of uh, of of, uh, of radios you see uh, and when you're a real overreacher, you don't stop with the Pontiac. I mean, if you're really going to go for the jugular vein, what are you going to go? Rolls-Royce, right? Okay. All the way. I mean, some guys will settle for, say, the Cadillac along the route. Like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the Cadillac would be, say, the Cape Heart of the period. That was the Cadillac I that was always considered fancy among uh, the unwashed but uh, the old man he went right for the jugular vein <laughs> i mean after going through all this and uh our family went to hawk i think my mother is still paying it off i'm not sure i know i hate to hesitate to ask her because this was a sore point <laughs> anyway the old man went out <laughs> and, and uh, you know we uh, we were scraping along there pretty good yes i mean you know uh, pretty good i mean that uh, we're the kind of family that if uh, Mm, every couple of Wednesdays, every every other week, we would go down to the igloo. The whole family would go out, and that was a big high point. We'd get out of the igloo and uh, get double dip ice cream cones, riding the fourth hand olds. But uh, so when he went out and he bought this radio, it was a it was a master stroke. It would be like if you're living in the Levittown, you know, someplace, and not not poor. No, no, don't don't Yeah, you're living in this place, you know, and it's got cardboard walls and all that. And uh, you decide what you're going to do, after great consideration and thought, you are going to buy a $47,000 hand-built Rolls-Royce that you're going to take to work at the plant every day. And you're going to, you know, you don't have a garage, you just park it out in the back, you see. That would be a stroke, wouldn't it? Master stroke. Now, of course, your friends would call you mad, insane. But all the while, they'd hate you for it. Oh, they would, see. <laughs> well, the old man went out and he got, this, he got this 16-tube DX16 EH Scott. You didn't buy it even as you buy a radio now. You, you didn't go out and just get the radio. You bought the chassis, and then you bought, you got a separate catalog with all the various cabinets available, like uh, hand-carved ebony. Uh, oh, yes, fantastic. So he, he put together this combination that radio was worth more than I would say roughly 30 combined families in our neighborhood. Every night he would come home and he would it had band switching. You know, you could get shortwave. He didn't even listen to London. There was one little red slot on the dial on band two that said police. And he Turn that on, and you'd hear these guys, Ah, uh, car seven, car seven, there is a 114 in progress at the on of 12th and Vine. At which point the old man would run out, jump in his Studebaker or his Olds, or his Pontiac, whatever used car he had at the time, and if he could make it all the way down there in that old clunker, he would rush down there and get right in the line of gunfire. Oh, yeah, listen, his proudest uh, thing was the time that he took the olds down, and he got there just in time to get the back end of the car scorched with the flames. They were routing out a bunch of guys with flamethrowers, and his car got caught. And uh, so the idea of listening to police calls is not new, friends. My father, in fact, he got so good that he could tell what sergeant was on by the voice. You know, when there was a certain sergeant on, it was a dull night. Because he didn't dramatize it. When another sergeant was on, he'd say, "The car four, car four! Oh my God, it's happening! It's happening down at the corner of Twelfth and Beacon! Oh, get down of quick!" The old man loved it. Other sergeants were saying, "A car four, car four! There's a situation developing at Fourth and Beacon. Uh, at your leisure, go down and see it out." You know. And so the trends come and they go. The desire remains in the American soul to listen to others' disaster, to applaud others, a total, uh, total involvement with the Great Pit. <laughs> so would you please, right over the theme, one more applause, just one more. Thank you. The greatest development in home entertainment is television. Sadism, rape, murder, and a few explosions thrown in. By the way, I've always had a desire to own, ever since that time, for no good reason, an E.H. Scott. <laughs> Does anybody out there know where I can get an E.H. Scott? Just let me know. And like the old man, oh, they weigh seven million pounds. you got to be... Probably thirty or forty feet from the transmitting tower now to actually pick up a signal on them. But boy, they got knobs. And if there's anything the old man loved, it was knobs and lights that lit up. AB1 negative feedback amplifiers, which he didn't understand. He'd take the tubes out and polish them. He said, "Look at that! Look at that beauty!" Uh, you've been listening to Gene Shepard, humorist, author and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.